0: involving people in the beginning, to begin with, because you really want to have the culture to be something tangible, and you really have to leave yeah. it as well. So it's not that you just write it down and that it, it's all aspirational, but you have to leave it as well.
1: Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders in the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best teams and company cultures in order to create the best games. Speaking to hundreds of game executives in the show, I have identified recurring patterns and mistakes that we all make in our leadership journey. Do you have to go through the same hold-ons and make the same mistakes to learn too? You are not alone in this journey, and hopefully you can learn from a diverse range of seasoned leaders who already walked the talk. Every episode brings actionable insights and case studies that will help you improve your management skills, self-awareness, and empathic communication. Becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. Are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. So, welcome everyone. <laughs> welcome to the office of MetaCore in Helsinki. And thanks, Mika, for coming at your office uh, at MetaCore in Ruolatti, for people who know about uh, uh, Helsinki a bit, and the location. So Metacore was founded in 2020 and uh, known for Merge mention. And uh, I think the big game uh, as the Merge game, I remember as well when uh, with my team, we were looking to Merge games in 2018, 19 at that time. Uh, so everyone was exploring, how do we crack the puzzle market when it was already saturated and Merge was emerging. And you were uh, among the first companies as well to really grow really fast with my invention. So today counting 50 million downloads and in 2022, 129 million uh, revenues in dollars and quite impressive and keep growing. And also what we will talk about today is the journey of a company for, since uh, you founded it in 2020, but now to uh, counting 190 people. And maybe it would be uh, actually better that I do ask as well, uh, you, Mika. So uh, we have a bit of conversation here. How you started, you know, in games, how long have you been in games? Where have you been working before? Not even you founded Metacore because that's a second part of your entrepreneurship journey, but maybe even before you started to be entrepreneur yourself. And I think that's the best way of introducing uh, for our audience, for people who don't know yet, Mika, Taminkowski here.
0: Yes. Uh, I, I got started in games uh, like way, way back already, uh, in uh, 96. I started working for a company called Remedy Entertainment. And uh, Remedy, of course, nowadays they are a really well-known uh, company. Uh, my background, uh, like how I got into the games in the first place, uh, I think it's a really typical, stereotypical story for a person of my age to be working <laughs> in games. So I got excited about games uh, in the early 80s when I was a small boy. Uh, and I was also lucky enough to be employed in the in the industry early on so Remedy was my my first uh, uh, job in the industry I'm self-taught programmer so I have a tech background I thought that I'm ready to be making games uh, as I think like all of us uh, all of us uh, thought that we were and I I learned that uh, I actually lack quite a bit of uh, experience actually in making games but that's that's how I I took off in in AAA games Uh, after that I moved into uh downloadable mobile games. These were the Java games uh, in, in Western markets. And uh, I learned a lot. Because the games we were making, games were not services yet. They were one of downloads. And also the handsets were really limited in capabilities. So we got to develop many small games. And that was really the, the kind of like school of uh, making games for me. And uh, I also learned about the more casual end of the market, the broader broader audiences. And I felt that my calling is to be making games for these uh, these audiences. And that's been kind of like the the foundation of my my career in games. And uh, that's when I found the direction that I've been on since then.
1: Mm -hmm. From your journey at Remedy and you say also Casual, so you touch on other companies uh, through your journey. And can you talk more about that part? So how did you expand your skills as well for your career? So there's one aspect which is the type of game you wanted to make and the impact. And I'm curious from Remedy to more casual, how did that happen? But also, my understanding, you've been also with Digital Chocolate at some point, how did that fit into that journey? And what was the connection then later or before you started your first company yourself? And
0: uh, Yeah, uh, I think, so when, when I started my career in, in games, I think at, at this, uh, that stage, I was more most interested in the craft of making games. Mm. So it was not really about even audiences, but just the craft of making games. And I, I think uh, all of us at Remedy, we were making games for our kinds of audiences. Uh, so we were making basically games for ourselves. Mm. And then uh, what I learned through mobile was that there are these other audiences that we, we can be serving as well, and they have different needs. They approach games in a different way uh, to begin with. And that was really eye opening to me. And then, so when we founded a company focusing on mobile games, that company was called uh, Sumia. Sumia was acquired by uh, Digital Chocolate in 2004. That's how I, I transitioned to working for, for Digital Chocolate. So the, the experience at where uh, I learned a lot. So we were building the, the company from ground up. We were looking for investors. We couldn't get an investment. Uh, the investment environment looked entirely different back then, uh, and also we were inexperienced. At Digital Chocolate, uh, the fact that it was a US-based uh, company, the headquarters were in San Mateo. They were a VC-backed company. Uh, it was headed by Trip Hawkins. Uh, The years of digital chocolate, they were kind of the the school. I'm a university dropout. I didn't ever graduate, but I think the the digital chocolate era, uh, I can apply to today from from those days, either in things that we did right or things we did wrong Mm. uh, as well.
1: And so after digital chocolate, I do know that you also created a first company everywhere. What happened in between or was it right away?
0: um... No, it was not right away. So uh, after digital chocolate, I had an idea that uh, I want to become an investor, <laughs> and, and uh, we had an investment company uh, for a bit over than uh, over a year. We learned that uh, investing is really hard. Uh, I learned myself that it's really hard for me to be one distance apart from actually doing. Uh, I'm, I'm really <laughs> mm. at, at least even even today. I feel like I'm I'm more a doer uh, than than uh, trying to uh, to uh, take one step back. Uh, After that, I went on to found a company focusing on HTML5 games. There was the trend of uh, HTML5 games. I remember. (laughs) Yes, I got excited about this new exciting platform, HTML5, uh, which was uh, supposed to be removing all the barriers from from downloading games. I'm the kind of person who gets really excited about, easily excited about new things. And uh, I hope that I have now learned my lesson. And then after (laughs) that, uh, we went to found uh, found, uh, Everywhere Games. That was the focus on smartwatch games. So again, getting excited about a new platform.
1: Oh, wow! Well, okay. So I can see the pattern. And so what made you transition from a company mm-hmm. to another? Did you have to close the HTML5 one? And did you found it at that time with other people or by yourself? And so how, what happened to that team? Did that team continue, for example, with Everywhere Games? I'm quite curious about, you know, the...
0: Yeah, so that team, so we, we had, uh, it was just like really small team. We were focusing on building HTML5 games, and when that failed, there were many reasons for that. Uh, then trying out to expand to more broadly, like to apps, uh, mm-hmm. so like drawing apps and, and such, uh, which was even harder than, than making games. Uh, that, that basically, uh, like, uh, we decided to close down that operation, and then after a while, then uh, uh, came up the uh, Everywhere Games.
1: Mm hmm, okay. I believe uh, as well when you close a company, I mean, I have closed studio and also a company previously. It is a bit of a painful process to, (laughs) to, you know, like face uh, the (laughs) the reality. This is not working and we need to close. What did you take away from closing? How did you feel at that time? Was it uh, more a setback, something negative or something positive? And okay, let's start immediately (laughs) the next one. So I'm quite curious what led you still then up next. uh, Let's, (laughs) let's build the next company.
0: Well, there's. Uh, I, I think it is a process, and of course it's always sad, it's always hard, it's always always a disappointment. But I think pivoting from smartwatches to mobile was a lot bigger change and a lot bigger shift for me. So with uh, Everywhere Games, uh, me and Aki, Aki Järvilehto, uh, we got excited about smartwatches as a games platform. And, and uh, oftentimes when there is a new platform being born, games are one of the first killer apps on that platform. And that's what we figured is going to be happening also with the smartwatch and smartwatch games. And we founded uh, Everywhere Games based on that premise. In, in December mm-hmm. 2014, and then in January 2015, we started working on our first game. We launched four games altogether uh, over three years' uh, time period. Mm-hmm. Three of those Apple as game of the year, and we were clearly uh, the most successful smartwatch game developer out there. It said more about the market than about us, so the market was really small. The market really didn't develop at the pace that we, we thought it would. And uh, by about uh, like early 2018, I found myself in a really frustrating position uh, to be in. So we were thinking about uh, where to go as, as a company, because we could stay focused on smartwatch games, uh, wait for the market to evolve, or then do a pivot. And me personally, like I said, uh, I'm the kind of person who gets, gets excited about <laughs> new things. I found myself again in a situation where I had gotten excited about something and then underestimated the time it takes for these things to evolve, if they evolve, evolve at all. Mm,
1: yeah.
0: And uh, I started questioning, like whether whether like the whole decision-making process is is the right one. And back then, when we were looking at uh, the mobile games market, we concluded that the market is it's young, but we also concluded that it must be really immature. I'm the kind of person, so I get excited about new technologies. I also get excited about like, being an entrepreneur uh, at heart. I get excited about disruptive innovations and blue ocean strategies and all of that. And I oftentimes think about like, so what, what is my way of building a business through disruptive innovation and blue ocean? But then I realize that uh, if the market is immature and games at large, I believe is still immature. Then, for sure, the right strategy is not to use disruptive innovation or blue ocean, but most likely it's jump head-on to compete. And then, looking at the mobile games market, I, I realized that actually, most likely the, the wisest thing would have been to just stick to the market, like ride the wave of uh, it mm-hmm. evolving, and uh, that I had been avoiding competition basically the whole of my life, always mm-hmm. getting excited about new things. This was a like, really big shift uh, in, in my thinking. And I, I feel like there are all these failures that I had to do, and then you learn something eventually. Maybe it's just about having a hard head. Like really, I don't think it's not it's not only about one pivotal moment in in your life, mm. but it's a it's a continuation of these kind of events that lead you to somewhere.
1: Mm. As I understood as well, you pivoted in two thousand fourteen, fifteen. And that what it was the foundation of Metacore, right? So it it never changed in the end. You didn't build another company. No. It just evolved. Yes. I'm quite interested in like that transition to, because we see just the tip of the iceberg, suddenly where everyone was paying attention to Metacore with much mention. But the story, what led to this is also very interesting to me, like exactly from that pivotal moment. So what were the steps uh, that led to much mention, for example?
0: So we did a pivot in, in 2018. Uh, back then, we, was, we were still called Everywhere Games, and we thought that if anything ever comes out of this, then we'll also rebrand the company. But now we stick to that; it was not the, the highest priority to rebrand it at, at that stage. So we realized that the uh, the market is most likely uh, immature. We are not really being player focused to begin with. So we thought that we really have to have to start from the audience to begin with. So we ha- we had a habit back then of uh, playing games as a team. We we chose one game. We played it for a week, and then we discussed it. And this was a way for us to to expose ourselves to to a wide amount of games, but also to learn. Learn about these games ourselves, but also learn how the others see these games. It was a great way to educate ourselves. And uh, one of the games we played uh, in in fall of uh, 2017 was uh, Merch Dragons, so one of the first more advanced Merch 3 or Merch uh, 5-based games. We got excited uh, about the mechanics, but we thought that there are many areas where we could improve on, and we could implement it in in, in different ways, based on the UX, and based on the scalability, and based on content itself, and uh, uh, merch taking the the centerpiece. And uh, then, in early 2018, we had an idea for the context of the game already, based on some of the learnings from Merch Dragons, Mm -hmm. that we wanted to do differently. We did think around with the mechanics a bit, but then we jumped into implementation and, and we did it in a really traditional way to begin with. So we, we thought that we are targeting mid-core audience. We had like your, like really stereotypical uh, mid-core fantasy in the game. Mm-hmm. So we built a prototype with the first session in it. Uh, we spent about three months working on this. So we had the, had a game which you could play for about 20 minutes, uh, and you could still continue playing after that. But, but the game, uh, the experience didn't really hold that well because it was only balanced for the first twenty mm. minutes, roughly, and uh, then uh, Playtest Cloud was pretty new service back then. We decided to use Playtest Cloud, so this was our way of testing. Uh, so we wanted to get feedback from the audience as early as possible. It was a clear failure. We saw that the midcore audience, especially that we targeted the game towards, they didn't like the game. It was mm. like two, two and a half, like two and a half to three stars out of five, <laughs> and most of the casual players didn't get the game either. But there were some who got really into the game. And uh, we learned that uh, these people, they liked the mechanics, mechanical side of the game. But from the team perspective, uh, it was not for them. And then we had been uh, testing with uh, Playtest Cloud already. So then we figured that because for casual audience, casual audience has certain traits. Because we wanted to make a game for casual audience. Oftentimes casual players, they like a story for the context of the game. So then we thought that we have to start testing for the premise uh, and theme of the game. And that's what we did using Playtest Cloud. Most of them like, didn't work at all. The, the audience, they didn't enjoy those. But then there was one that was uh, like made a like really, really clear difference. And that was the, the premise that became then Merge Mansion. Then we refactored the playable game that we had, and we tested that by using Playtest Cloud. And that time, we got really great feedback from, from your, the audience. So we tested it on casual audience, and they really loved it. Uh, we also did, did test on the on the midcore audience, and uh, they also liked it. So, mm. so it seemed to be really a great fit for these audiences. So that's how Merch Mansion got started. Then, then, then we knew that now we have something that we can work on, and we started working on the like a uh, real game, uh, which then was released in uh, uh, September 2020.
1: Yes, two years after, since the moment of uh, like really early concept. Uh, yes, basically two years. Yeah. Yes, and it's great to hear the backstory. Uh, which is, you know, more discovery, testing process in the dark and, you know, iterating, filtering and then putting it together. More than, okay, we had a whole plan and we knew this thing would work, which uh, is really the case, right? So it's it's more of a testing approach, iterating and then launching that is uh, led to what is Merge mentioned.
0: Yes, yes. I do think that there are these visionaries who have great ideas of, of for products or games and who can then implement them and then they just work. I'm not that kind of that kind of person and i really believe in the discovery path so yeah. having an idea to begin with but then uh, not getting stuck on the idea yes, but exactly. being able to navigate the space of creativity and be able to find something that really suits the audience and mm. serves the audience well
1: yeah so there's i think uh, an interesting conversation in parallel to make in when you start to have development of a game Something like you said, you found. It's like, you know, I, I can, I have that metaphor where you in a mine and, you know, like you tap on the, every corner to find something that looks a bit, a bit like a gold or a gem. What was the evolution during those two years? So end of 2018 to 2020? Uh, not only on the game, but on the team uh, and company, right? Uh, because at that time, I believe you were maybe lean, small, trying to figure out what, what will be the core of your company. So how from merch mention, Metacore became, what Metacore is today?
0: It's an excellent question. And, and uh, well, th- there are a lot of learnings uh, uh, there. So when we were approaching uh, the launch of uh, Merch Mansion, so, so we locked down uh, the uh, global launch date for Merch Mansion in early 2020. Then of course, uh, the pandemic started in March <laughs> 2020. And then we were not sure whether we can launch the game in the first place, uh, like uh, what happens in, in the world overall. But we learned that uh, we can actually also work remotely. Uh, they were learning based based on this, and then uh, uh, when uh, the September was was uh, uh, closing on, uh, we were able to launch the game. So we were ready for for global launch. Back then, we still thought that uh, we can operate the game uh, with a small team. We thought that the game is is really different than what it turned out to be in the end. We didn't mm-hmm. understand the, the role of a role that the story plays in the game. We didn't understand the uh, the role of uh, like. Uh, and like really advertising at that stage yet so of course we thought that we would be doing ua but we didn't yet know the extent that we will be going uh, uh, over the years so we thought that we can keep the company a lot smaller but but we we did understand that we have to start hiring more people because there are all these roles roles that we have to fill in even though we didn't know that that we would grow as big as we are today we did know that there will be uh, like a lot of growth because we were about 15 people mm-hmm. back yeah then. We, we, we knew that it's really easy to end up having a lot of uh, growing pains as a company. And uh, we wanted to get certain things right uh, to begin with. One thing was uh, culture. When it comes to culture, I have had, I have had my own own uh, learnings from culture and own experiences. The, the first ones that, that really made, made an impact on me, maybe not in the most positive sense, uh, were from uh, digital chocolate, uh, so dating like 20 years back. And back then, Digital Chocolate was a company that cared a lot for culture. But back in those days, the way companies cared for culture is that we, like, we defined the cultures. We oftentimes used key words, uh, mm-hmm. excellence or integrity <laughs> or ownership. But I think that the biggest issue with culture was that it was more like like uh, selecting things that sound nice and that we really all want to believe in, but then maybe not having that grounded in the company culture in the practicalities. So I, I, I. I I realized that culture is really important, but I didn't really like feel it back then. But then uh, later on, there were great examples of uh, cultures like the Netflix culture deck that started spreading uh, from uh, 2009 onwards. Mm-hmm. That was really inspirational. I didn't feel like it would be a culture that I would want to be working in myself, uh, but it still felt inspirational. So we thought uh, when in in 2020, when when we saw that we have to start growing the company, we also wanted to have our culture in writing because we thought that it, it's really important to have this uh, written down. And uh, we have been iterating on the culture. Originally, the idea was that we revisit the culture together as a company twice per year. Mm-hmm. It was completely unrealistic. And and now the idea is that maybe we could do it once per year, mm-hmm. hopefully moving forward. The other right decision that we did, in my opinion, was that we put a lot of focus on hiring. Uh, this goes back to, I think it was maybe two thousand. 18 or 19, somewhere around there. When, when I noticed that uh, when I was uh, speaking with people from Supercell, I started like paying atten- attention to how many internal recruiters they mm-hmm. have. Uh, I think I, I concluded that about 5% of the headcount are internal recruiters. And then I thought that if this is for Supercell, like with all their brand, with all their like great games and their great culture, if it, it takes this much work for them to hire people, it must be really, really, really hard for someone like us, for example, <laughs> without any, any uh, track record or without any name. So when we started in 2020, when we started looking for uh, people lead for the company, we wanted to find one with background in recruiting yeah. because I have done my fair share of uh, recruiting, but I, I realized that I know nothing about recruiting really in the end. And I, I think that that was the, the right decision to do to begin with. And we also started uh, uh, building our uh, own talent acquisition team uh, at at about that time and i think that now i understand better the role of talent acquisition team for example in the company it plays a crucial crucial role it's really important uh, that you have the internal team uh, that these people are the right ones for the company to be begin with and and uh, they may be the most important part of the company uh, Mm. at, at the growth stage so i believe that because of these two Two decisions we did uh, the the growth has been easier than mm. it would have been otherwise.
1: Yeah, and for uh, the reminder, indeed you grew from was fifteen to almost two hundred people within two years, right? Yes, yeah,
0: so so we are now so we have uh, basically doubled the headcount like uh, year after year, uh, pretty much.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> and a follow up question I had on that. Time when you, okay, you had awareness, you need to grow and you need to put into words, into more practicalities, your culture. How long did that process take to even write uh, that book? I, I, I saw you presented some pages of it at the IGDA leadership day. Who uh, was leading? Uh, was it led by the group or is this a clear owner? And should that be the CEO? What?
0: Oh, yes, the, the CEO uh, was the owner of that. But of course, we, we, we basically we interviewed uh, everybody uh, and and we were a lot smaller team back then so it was still possible mm-hmm. to really discuss it uh, through and see what are the important things that that people feel in this company and and uh, the first version of that it actually came quite easily because we were such a small team mm-hmm. and and i would say that from from a cultural point of view we probably were also quite homogeneous in in that sense so we were really aligned already to begin with and I, I think uh, that alignment to, to begin with is important. Oftentimes when you have, uh, when you found companies, like even among the co-founders, like oftentimes there are some co-founders who feel that actually this is not for me. So that's the, the period that you find alignment uh, among these people, but it really is important to find it. Mm. I think games industry is one of the places where people actually find alignment more easily because it's it's a clear, like compared to startups, mm. because it's clear what we are trying to aim for. We want to be making like great games, successful games. There might be differences about the audiences or, or like, uh, what kind of games we want to be making. Yeah. But nevertheless, there is some alignment to, to begin with. People are really driven to be making these games. Mm. Involving people in, in, in the beginning, to begin with. Because you really want to have the culture to be something tangible. And you really have to leave it, leave yeah. it as well. So it's not that you just write it down uh, and that it, it's all aspirational. But you have to leave it as well. Mm. And in our case, like uh, the, uh, the iterations that we have been doing on the culture agreement, we still have uh, the, the uh, first one available, so anyone can, can go and read it. And there, many of the things, like you can see that, what we have learned. For example, in the first one, we talked about small independent teams. So we still believed, we, we looked up to our Supercell, and we thought that we can keep our teams small and lean, like Supercell does and then uh, we tried doing that it didn't work out mm-hmm. we failed and we concluded that we just have to accept it that we have to start scaling the team so then when we did uh when we got back to the culture agreement and we looked at the small independent teams so it was clear that small well we won't be small anymore we have to have bigger teams so we have to drop small mm-hmm. but then we 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 started discussing what does independent mean and then uh, we realized that what we mean by independent is that that uh, we talk about basically autonomy and what does autonomy mean in the, in the context of our culture then? Uh, then we got to uh, defining ownership, defining responsibilities well, and giving o- uh, autonomy to people. And these discussions came really naturally, mm. uh, uh, like through the iteration of, of the process. This year, uh, we uh, did a culture workshop. So we were about 150 people at the time, where we had an offsite oh, focusing wow. on culture. And we did a workshop uh, as, as a company, uh, like how should we evolve our culture now? And we got really great feedback. Now we are in the process of, of uh, writing the next iteration of the culture agreement. Let's see how it how it goes. But I feel like this is the, at least we have the right elements for the process to be iterating on the culture mm. moving forward as well.
1: Mm. And uh, this is already great um, actionable for the listeners here, because a uh, culture book is evolving and it's very context-based, right? I think it's almost like, um, like a whole skill in itself, defining culture at different stages. What is the process to making it right, uh, accurately, and making it evolve? Um,
0: Yes, I agree. Like one one, uh, example, in in addition to the small independent teams, another example was that uh, the first version was really focused on games and making games, because we were basically all making games back then. But then feedback we started getting was that it doesn't feel inclusive because I'm not in the game teams it really it sounds so basic yeah. but there have been many eye opening moments of seeing that this is actually it doesn't reflect us as uh, as a company anymore and our culture because it's been a subset of things yeah then also like within that that subset so you have to be able to see like what to change uh, in there that you have maybe you have to add something or remove something or change something uh, but then also like what is the bigger context that we are in at the moment like we are mm-hmm. not the same company that we used to be so what's, what's changed? Mm. Uh, and the best way to do that is to listen to your people.
1: Yeah, I see as well, whereas, so you have a big success with Merch mention. I believe also quite a good financial security, uh, you know, for the future of employees. And, uh, but I see also there's some form of expansion with a new um, studio that you announced in Berlin. And also there's been some form of acquisition or growing, like you took also the um, uh, operations of Everdell and then Pinata was announced uh, earlier, a bit earlier, a few months ago. And I wonder as well for uh, you, and you have also new game section, so where is MetaCore going? Like it started from a game and more of the almost like purpose that is manifesting of the company. And we talked about this, there's themes around the inclusivity, giving back to uh, the gaming community. And I'm sure those aspirations will emerge more as you have, uh, you know, reached the first layer of, be pure survival, success and uh, now expanding. So if you could tell more also about that and your future aspiration with Metacore?
0: So with, uh, our goal has been to be building a portfolio of games from the beginning. So Merch Mansion was the first one, but we have all the time we have had at least one team working on, on finding mm-hmm. an, uh, a market fit for a, another game. And uh, that's the mission that we are on still. So, so uh, we have a Merch mansion that we are still growing and scaling. Uh, Merch Mansion team is 100 plus people at the moment. We believe that uh, we could like let's say easily, fairly easily double the team size and uh, we were still like looking at the output of the team uh, and uh, the need for content from players, uh, I think there wouldn't be any extra. So we would still be serving the audience maybe not in a perfect way, a lot better, but maybe not in a perfect way. So there's still room for growth in Merch Mansion. but then also uh, looking for how are we able to find new market fits we started uh, working on Merge mansion uh, we, we started by by testing we started from the audience uh, we didn't realize how lucky we were to <laughs> find a concept that resonated so well so well with the audience and now we are putting a lot more effort and focus into testing and finding finding something that works we are doing it uh, from ground up in many cases everdale is a case of us seeing great traction uh, we, we we saw that uh, in our view, Supercell found partial market fit for Everdale. They've, they were really onto a gem itself, mm. uh, but they were not able to really polish it, uh, really dig deep into it. And uh, that's what we are trying to do. So we, we took the game into parts and then we started putting it together in different ways. Oh. At the same time testing, like, where is the market fit? And that's the, the, where we are with that, that game still. And uh, then we have two other teams working on, on two other new concepts. And the basic idea is that we start from an audience and we start testing. Mm-hmm. We start to understand, uh, form an idea of whether there's uh, a need for this kind of game uh, in the market, out there. When it comes to uh, expanding to Berlin, uh, so talent is our biggest bottleneck at the moment. So finding, uh, uh, there, there are two axes basically, so it's kind of like amount of talent, but also then talent in specific uh, disciplines, the data being one. Uh, data mm-hmm. is a big bottleneck, we need a lot more people to analyze the data we have to form an understanding of, of audiences, uh, product managers, producers, various roles that are more or less uh, a bigger bottleneck uh, for us. And uh, we, we are expanding to Berlin to tap into the uh, into the uh, uh, talent pool over there. But then also uh, when we are talking about relocation, so we have been relocating many people to, to Helsinki uh, to begin with. Uh, now we can offer two locations so either mm-hmm. berlin or helsinki uh, to relocate to i'm hoping that uh, we are able to scale faster uh, with, with this mm-hmm. expansion
1: some challenges always with scale which is uh, about the around the communication so indeed in, you know as uh, the bigger you grow the, the slower to make movement and change if there are chance uh, that needs to happen it's also a scaling of the skills so what are the Challenges you have also in terms of scaling of skills and even leadership, right? So uh, probably leveling up everyone as you need to grow. Uh, so if you could talk more also about those pain points of scaling, which are I guess inevitable.
0: Yes, they are in- inevitable. Maybe just a short word about uh, the community. So yes, yes. The, so the Finnish uh, games community, and this is something that uh, coming from this community, uh, it took a while to understand that we are not like other communities, like in a way our goals are aligned. Even though we are from different companies, we are not seeing each other as competitors, but it's more like our goals are aligned. But also the other thing is, is that it's also good for the company longer term. So the, the bigger and stronger the community is here, uh, the better off we are as well. So I, I think like, I hope that there would be five big companies in Finland, uh, companies like uh, Supercell, Rovio, and, and so forth. Uh, and then all the small companies as well. Because then that would create a, a great basis for talent to relocate to uh, here as well. So they wouldn't only come to MetaCore, for example, but yeah. they would become part of this community. But that's a whole different story. We, I was t- talking about this for, for a long time. <laughs> but then about uh, talent, so I think like one thing is, is that we, of course, we need more talent. But we already have talent in-house. How do we make sure that everybody uh, uh, is, is growing? Be it more at the, like being a great programmer or artist, or then being a great leader to mm-hmm. begin with. We have to give people tools yes. uh, to, to really uh, be able to do that. I think we are really only getting started on this. So we began... Uh, the idea was that uh, like we want everybody to be proactively developing their skills. Uh, but then we didn't give enough guidance on how to actually do that. And now we are in the process of fixing that. We have our own uh, training programs, and uh, we have different mentors and coaches that, that can, you can uh, engage awesome. with. We have also been working on defining, like, for example, what does it mean to be a supervisor at Metacore mm. in our culture, and really crystallizing that, doing trainings on that, and so forth. So, and, and I think like, we are far from perfect on this, so there's still a lot of work to be done. We are only scratching the surface. I, I think it's, it's, it's really easy to underestimate the need uh, to really grow your people as well to put a lot of focus in that. And
1: that's something I really appreciated, uh, again, when I saw your your thoughts at the um, IGDA event uh, about growing exactly the, uh, the leadership level, so extending it, uh, and also especially when it comes to culture, how you scale a culture. It's not anymore with one person. Uh, and you can also apply it, distribute it over 100 people, but it's through different people who are influencing others. And that doesn't necessarily mean only the leaders, but then this is where the opportunities as you level up many and in the way, because culture is translated in decision making, leading, influencing and so on, building the right system, the resources, the support uh, to grow, you know, internal leaders. uh, So it's great to hear you have mentoring, coach, uh, also defining, crystallizing what is a supervisor. Because a lot of those are implicit definition and you you can make your own definition and act in a very inconsistent way that what is maybe expected of you at Metacore with your own vision, right? So it's great to hear that first you think about it, you're starting about it, and through the same process you learn, you correct, calibrate, and you know, that's it in the end.
0: Yes. And I, 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 yeah, I think it comes down to like really growth mindset.
1: And um, at last, is there something, um, but I didn't ask for all, like, we touched on a lot of things that I, I wish I could ask you more, but at least for today, and our listeners to just understand as well, uh, like the real backstory of Metacore. Is there something I didn't ask that I should have asked you today that you'd like to talk about at last?
0: I think we covered the, the most important parts. Culture, I think the, the role of uh, talent acquisition. I think the, the industry being immature. We are really young as an industry. I think, like, as long as there are people in the industry like I am, Like I'm self-taught, I'm I'm really like, I was interested in the craft of making games to begin with. As long as I'm in the industry, we can't call this mature industry to begin (laughs) with. And I think if you look at other other industries uh, to compare to, so I I, I don't accept that. I see a really bright future uh, for games industry. I, I think that would be a great, Great topic to talk about but maybe maybe for the next next session
1: yeah and we will have uh, some form of collaboration around that around the community uh you know elevating the industry and uh, growing up together because i do see the same and i agree and i don't think it it has anything also to do with the fact that we are not experts in making games It's, it's an evolving field you know what is entertainment? It evolves with humans, and we evolve as society and global society. So the only, I would say, path forward is adapting. <laughs> uh, so it's the ability to learn, but we can't be experts at, at what we do forever because things are just changing fast, especially in games. Though.
0: Yes, I agree, mm-hmm. and and I, I think it's, it's clear, but maybe worth uh, saying out loud as well that when we talk about games, we have to be inspired. If we are not inspired, we can't do creative work. But the same comes down to like talking about building companies or creating cultures or like whatever. We have to have inspiration, draw inspiration from others, uh, be it more experienced people in the industry or maybe people from other industries or uh, whatever. But, but we have to draw inspiration from, from others to really be able to, to grow. And I think that's, that's, that we can only do together.
1: Yeah. And uh, thanks again, uh, just for the time you made today and for that message. And I can tell you there are so many other entrepreneurs that resonate and founders and companies that resonate with the same belief. We, we will grow bigger as a group rather than individually, whether as a company or as a person. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, Mika, for your time. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am growing a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. If you want to join this movement, please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow and rate the show on Spotify or your other favorite podcast platform. It will help other growing leaders to discover the show and benefit from the valuable insights. If you would like to grow rapidly your leadership skills, you can find more insights on raiseandplay.io where you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership and other resources that I offer. Have a great week and remember to take care of yourself. Until the next time,